everybody. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sarah Hoffman, and on today's call, we have Don Spafford of Beyonder Holdings. So thank you, Don, for being on the show today. My pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sarah. Absolutely. Now, as usual, I like to start off by learning more about you and your story. So tell us what you did before and how did you get into commercial real estate? Sure. My life before is nothing exciting. I spent almost pretty close to 20 years in the financial industry space. I worked for a, a company that provided uh, back office support for investment advisors. My financial, or my education is all in the financial space, investment science, portfolio management, that, that kind of stuff. Very strong financial background. But what led me to get into real estate was that I always had this dream. Before I got involved with real estate, I was following that that fire movement, right? The financial independence, retire early. And the bigger, I guess the biggest proponent of, the, of people in that space, they say, build up your retirement account, build up this large IRA or whatever, so you can take your annual withdrawals and, and have that grow forever. Sounds great. But if you're not a high income owner yourself, it's hard to set aside that much money to really build up to get to that point ever. Mm-hmm. I didn't see, see that really ever happening. And so for me, I, I, I guess one day I realized that the faster route to get there is just creating the income. That's the ultimate yeah. goal. I don't need to save a couple million dollars to have the income. I can get the income by investing in cash flowing real estate. And so that's really what led me to really get more motivated and focus on the real estate side of things because I saw that mm-hmm. as the shortcut to financial independence. And so I started investing in 2017. I bought a fourplex, was our, our first property between my wife and I that we bought together. And I still own that property here six years later now, basically. But that was the starting point to get the ball moving. I like to use the, the analogy of a train. It's, it's slow to get going. It takes a lot of yeah. power, a lot of force, a lot of energy to get it moving. Once you get that going, it just builds up that momentum and it's hard to stop. So that's where that fourplex started for me. It wasn't like a great cash flowing property from the beginning. It did cash flow, but not enough to quit my job the first day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but my goal was to take the cash flow that it did get, which I think initially was maybe about $500 a month I got from it, just a little over $100 a door. And I saved that up. I didn't spend it. I didn't go buy a new car, use that for the car payment. I, I let that money build to eventually get to a point where I could buy another one. And that's how that just momentum started going more and more. And then eventually after two or three years, I realized that even just buying fourplexes is not going to get me to where I, I wanted <laughs> to get quickly enough. Yeah, I, I was like, there's got to be a, a faster way to scale. And so I started looking at different options, you know, like some partnerships, JV deals, whatever it could be. And then I discovered syndications and how those work and how they operate. And I saw that as a very interesting path to, to get into. And, and so the first few people I've, I met in that space, of course, are multifamily value add sponsors, which is more mm-hmm. typical, but you'll see probably your 95% yeah. of commercial real estate investors are multifamily. So I learned about that. And at the time, at least at that point, it was still maybe two or so years after I started that the only opportunities that they, the ones I had contact with anyway were for credit investors, which I was not an accredited investor at the time yet. So I couldn't get involved. But I, I was just learning. I wanted to keep learning more about it and, and see how it worked. And as time went on, I, and I started to network more. I got to meet more people and learn more. I eventually got more involved with actually some build threat multifamily. I, I became a partner on a team that does ground up development of these big multifamily projects as a syndication. And that was my first real entry into syndication and really multifamily at that scale. But then as I was still trying to do more and get involved, still with the, the traditional value-add multifamily, I wanted to get in that space still. I, I was. This was now maybe a couple of years ago, early 2021, as I was looking for opportunities, like just the, the properties themselves that I could either take to a syndication team or, or get involved with one way or another. I, nothing for me was penciling out to, to the numbers that I needed to see to make me be satisfied with the returns I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I was 
started to just give up and maybe I just don't have the, the skills, or the contacts to find those great deals. So I was like, maybe I can at least go back now and look at somebody else's syndications and invest as an LP investor. And as I started looking through those deals, I was surprised to see relatively the same numbers I was seeing when I was pencing <laughs> out my own, right? The returns were not fantastic. They were okay. And they must've been good enough that people were still investing in them. But for me, yeah. it was like, that's not going to help me get to my goal. The right. slow average of maybe 6% or so cash on cash is not going to help me get to where I'm trying mm-hmm. to get in any quicker. Uh, yep. Then just be buying my own fourplexes or something. So I, I was just patiently waiting and kept searching and, and, uh, and learning and listening to podcasts. And uh, one day I heard on a podcast, somebody else talk about RV campgrounds. And uh, that kind of just hit me for, for a minute. I was like, wow, that's something different. And the returns they mentioned sounded great. I live in an area that's very big on camping. Most of my neighbors have campers or RVs or something. So I saw this as a unique opportunity to get involved with something that not everybody else is doing which is something I, I like. I like being somewhat unique. So I started learning more. I started going to webinars and just networking with people that are in that space and doing that to try to just get involved one way or another, get my foot in the door, just to learn something. And just that's where it all started. And doing that type of networking, I met a couple of guys that just bought their first property and were looking to grow their team and bring on more partners and, and different specialists. And so that's when we met and things went from there. And then here we are now later, man, what was that? Like not even a year and a half ago, really, that I got involved myself with Beyond Our Holdings and Helped us launch it and, and take off. And we've had a great year last year, and we're looking to have a great year this year, too. So that's how it all started. Awesome. That's an exciting story how you tried it in multifamily value add, which is, you know, the majority of our podcast episodes have been about multifamily value add syndications. And you were not finding the returns that you wanted to get to that financial freedom. So you just happened to stumble upon the RV space just in a podcast. Yeah. And obviously that has created a lot of momentum for you to this day. For sure. Yep. And I'd say that's what was the tipping point to get me to leave my W2 at the end of uh, last year. Yeah, it was, it was a definitely a process. A lot of things in between that, that I didn't fully cover here, but all yeah. the things combined adding up yeah, definitely helped to get to that point much quicker than I would have had done otherwise. Perfect. So from the time when you purchased your first fourplex till now, it took you, what, five years to get to that point where you can leave your W-2? Pretty much. It was five and a half years, I guess, would be the the precise from when I bought that first fourplex to when I left my W-2. Yeah. I, mean, I could have probably left a little bit sooner, but I wanted to at least finish out that year. Left at the end of the year and you know, make it a full, full, uh, you know, <laughs> good time to leave. But but yeah, yeah, just about five and a half years to get there. And to be honest, when I bought that first fourplex, that was my goal. I gave myself a goal. And then five years, I wanted to at least have the option to leave my job, whether I wanted to or not, but at least I wanted to have the option. And but before I got involved with this commercial side of things, I honestly didn't think I was going to reach it. <laughs> After the first couple of years or two, three or three years, I was like, man, it might take 10 years. Yeah. But, but yeah. even if it takes 10 years, I guess still ahead of the curve. Right. But if I could make it happen in five, then then let's keep working and find a way to make it happen. And, and luckily, uh, I was able to do that. Yeah. Just when I interview all of these different people on my podcast, I find that by the time that they start investing in commercial real estate, it usually is about five years. Not five years from the time they start investing in single family or even small, you know, fourplexes like that usually is not the path, but you were able to achieve that much quicker. So tell us what your portfolio looks like today. So let's see. It was, so I actually last year sold off a couple of my fourplexes to put all that capital back into our campground deals <laughs> because I was able to achieve higher cash flows than those were providing mm-hmm. without all the headaches. These were a couple I had in, in Arkansas that uh, had a lot of issues with uh, just turnovers and repairs and maintenance and stuff. I wanted to let go of that headache and yeah. get into something that cash flows much better without all those problems. So today I still have that, say that first fourplex I bought five, well, almost six years ago now. I bought that. I still hold that today. 
I just actually refinanced it also about a year and a half ago and, and took out four times more than I put down on it to reinvest back into other things. Mm-hmm. And so I've got that. And then I've got a JV deal that I have in Arkansas. It's a five unit strip mall that we built ground up. I've got a land, just some land that we're currently holding with some other partners to either sell it or possibly build on it. And then aside from that, everything else is these commercial deals. I've got the built to rent multifamily that I'm invested in. And I'm in, also invested in the Beyonder Holdings campgrounds directly with my own money, not from just being involved. I actually invest yeah. my personal money. In it. Over time, I'm, I'm planning to consolidate down to just get down to being fully passive, honestly, within the next yeah. five years. It is my goal is to be fully passive investor and kind of get that next level. Get the okay. five-year goal to hit that financial dependence now, another yeah. five years to be fully passive and not uh, actively involved with, with really anything other than giving my mm-hmm. time and, and volunteering and, and traveling and, and all that kind of stuff. You know? I love that. So when you got in for, involved in your first large commercial deal, how did you get involved? Were you helping to raise capital or what, what was your involvement in that first deal? Yeah. So that first build rent multifamily was capital raising. Came out as investor relations. I had no experience <laughs> other than that I was able to, those two JV deals I, I did ahead of time, those are kind of ones that I got under contract and went out and, and found partners to bring money to those. So I had some mm-hmm. experience in that sense, but it wasn't your traditional capital raising experience. But this was just an opportunity, honestly, that the, these guys had approached me a few years ago to invest in something they were doing here, a, a smaller project. At the time, I turned them down because I was finding much higher returns just in those fourplexes I was buying. Yeah. And then as time went on, they approached me again early 2021 to invest in a new deal they had that had a better return, something that was more aligned with what I was looking for. And this was basically that same point where I was starting to get into commercial and trying to expand and, and get on teams and whatever. And so I just threw it out there as like, hey, or, 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 if you guys are interested, I'd be happy to come on and help you guys raise capital for this stuff. And so they, for me, luckily they accepted it and let me come on. And so I just went for it. I was like, mm-hmm. what have I got to do? I wasn't expecting to do much. I've, I've heard people's stories of their first time cap raising. Yeah. They got very little or 50,000 or something. So I, I had very low expectations, but give myself a high goal. And for that first deal, I, I was able to raise, I think about 300,000, which really su- surprised me that I was even able to do that much. I still felt it was yeah. a small amount, but I was like, hey, I did better than I thought I would do. <laughs> and so that's yeah, how I got involved with, with that. And But I wanted to do more than just help cap raise. So, so uh, I got more involved in my help with some of their marketing materials, putting together mm-hmm. the investor summary pitch deck, that kind of stuff. And just being a bit more involved than just raising capital only. So yeah, that was my first commercial syndication deal. Perfect. And so for some of our listeners who are trying to get into their first deal and maybe raising capital could be an option for them, what advice do you have as, as far as how they can navigate that? Because maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to friends and family about these deals. What was your process and how did you raise that first 300000 Yeah. So it's going back to the years I was listening to podcasts. Like every day as I worked, did my job, I was listening to podcasts five or six per day. I was constantly hearing about people and their experiences and things that they did and the way they would approach it, that you're not raising capital, you're not asking them for money. It's more of you're offering an opportunity. Hey, there's this opportunity yeah. to invest and build your wealth and all that kind of stuff. So I took that approach and, and just went for it. And I, I, honestly, at that time, I had a very limited network as well. I was not active on social media at that point. So the network I had was somewhat limited to a couple of different platforms and a few contacts I had through other relations and through my wife's involvement in real estate. So Knowing me, I was like, wow, if I raised that much with pretty much non-existent network, <laughs> I figured I could probably do a lot more if I grew this network a, a lot more. Yeah. So I, at that point, that's when I really focused on building that network and getting that no like, and trust out there. So that's when I became active on social media. It's like today, you see me post just about every day on, on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and things that 
I was not doing prior to that at all. I could not be pretty much found anywhere. <laughs> if you look at me on social media, you'd not find me. So for me, that was like the, the next level was now I need to build up this brand of, of me, my name, my, that trustability and, and all these yeah. factors that people look for. So I'd say for people who are starting out, definitely start on that. You have to have, even if you have nothing to sell, I, I didn't have anything to sell. When I became on social media, I was not saying, hey, come invest with me, come look at my deals. I was just putting out there things I was doing. I was going to these networking events. I'd say, hey, I went to this networking event last night. Here's what we talked about. And I just put out just general investment terminology and, and things to know about just to help educate. And so just mm-hmm. building this, slowly building up a, a, a platform of people that were could see me that I'm doing something in real estate and something involved investing. So over time they can learn and eventually they'll come on and say, hey, I've been following you for a while. I like what you do. I'd like to learn more. So if you can focus on building that, building your brand, which is you, even if you work for a company, they're still trusting in you. So you got to build up that network and that base of people that know you, like you, and trust you enough to want to invest with you. So that's where you, you should definitely start before you even have any deal to raise for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's easier to build those relationships when you're not currently raising capital on a deal, right? It's low pressure yes. and you're just having a normal conversation and basically creating a friendship at that point. Exactly. Then you can build up a, a list, which I did. I'd keep like an Excel list. So-and-so's name, I talked to them on this date, their phone, email, then say what they're looking for. Say, so if I have a deal that meets that criteria, you're looking for you know, 10% cash and cash or whatever, then I'll be sure to contact you when I have one of those deals and you'll be ready to invest. Sure. So then I'll put how much they would possibly invest. So yeah, just build up a list. Then when you have those deals, then you can go back to them and say, hey, by the way, I, we talk, remember when we talked about this? Hey, I've got something that meets that criteria. If you're looking for an opportunity right now, I've got a great opportunity for you. So definitely start building that mm-hmm. network and that the investor base. Yeah. And so you've mentioned a couple of times that investing in RV campgrounds, the returns were higher than multifamily. So tell us about what those returns look like. Yeah, definitely. Without getting too much in comparison, but yeah. Yeah, for me, when I saw these average, I've seen some of those like a two or 3% cash on some multifamily. So I'm like, why would I even waste my time? But <laughs> so yeah, on some of these, I'd say the average is around four to 6% cash on cash. A lot of them mostly bank on the equity multiple at the end, or like we're going to mm-hmm. double your, get two X multiple or something, which for me, a two X wasn't really that great either for a five-year hold. So for me, what really attracted me was when I heard that these campground deals that we're involved with, the ones that, especially my, my team at Beyond Our Holdings, we target are, we're looking for about 12 to 15% average cash on cash per year. So that's like real cash flow. Day one, you're getting returns. So for example, this Q1, as we're recording this now today, so Q1 2023, we sent out a 3% return just for Q1 to our investors. If you would, we'll say each quarter we send out 3%, that's already we're at 12% for, for the year. Potentially we could be a higher than that. This is just Q1, which is one of our slowest quarters really for, for people. So there's potential to get very high cash flows, um, which is again, what, what attracted me because I'm like, hey, I, I'm my goal is to replace my income. I need cash flow now. I don't yeah. want to need to wait five years. So, so if you're looking for cash flow now, it's, you're going to be hard pressed to find something else you can invest in, which is relatively lower risk than, than say, mm-hmm. something else. But that gets you those kinds of, of, of cash flow. So we're looking at you know, 12, to 15, 12 to 15% average cash on cash. And on top of that, a 2.5 to 3x multiple is our, our target. Um, so we're looking at uh, typically 20% plus IRR. Um, so very easily when you do a side-by-side comparison, it's if you're looking at strictly as an investment option, you're getting much better returns overall in this space for, for hitting all those factors. And on top of that, the depreciation tends to be much higher as well. And it's a property or investment you can actually go to and have fun with. You can use it. We want you to, we want our investors to go there and, and <laughs> hang out and enjoy it. Something you're probably not going to do at a multifamily or, or self-storage or something else. And also just with these RV campgrounds, obviously they're pretty low maintenance. There's not much, it's not like a multifamily where you've got to take care of like the building and then you've got 
all the plumbing and electrical. And there's just so many different expenses that can come up with, obviously, with an RV campground, it's low maintenance. So what kind of expense ratios do you have on these? So we're typically still around like a 50% expense ratio. So you know, like you say, yeah, it's relatively lower maintenance. Like you're not dealing with um, all those types of problems. We don't have to deal with evictions and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. we still have, you know, we have to take care of our guests, right? So we do have a very high like, expense for the, the salaries, like the employee mm-hmm. costs. We don't just hire a single property manager and they take care of it, right? You have your campground general manager and we've got all the supporting staff that are there to run like the camp stores and the activities and the rent, like boat rentals, for example, or something that they need overseas. Mm-hmm. So there's a good number of staff that on site that you got to pay for. So that's a, definitely a bigger expense. Plus our insurance tend to be a bit high. We want to make sure we are well covered. When you have a property that has a, a lake or something where people could drown or get otherwise injured, but you want to be sure you're protected against lawsuits or things that could come about more than just a slip and fall on ice on the park, on the, you know, sidewalk or something. But so yeah, with all that involved, our, our expenses are still relatively high. But again, we have such high income to begin with that it more mm-hmm. than offsets that to still b- provide great returns back to our investors. Perfect. Now, before this podcast, I was browsing through your website and I saw something about investing in marinas as well. I've never heard about that. I didn't know you could yeah. even do that kind of thing. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. Marinas still fit our profile for what we are targeting, what we look for and, and how they operate. They're Relatively the, the same type of thing to as far as managing them goes. So we don't have any standalone marinas just yet. We, we have had a, a couple of offers we've placed on some. But we do have one of our campgrounds that has a marina on it. It's got a fact that we, we purchased it with a 260 boat slip marina. We've added on more uh, boat slips on there now. So it's closer, I think, around 300 boat slips on there now with more room to expand because there's still a waiting list. It's actually pretty exciting. What's great about the marinas is that people that rent those spaces to, to keep their boats there, they they don't want to they, they need a place to put their boat they want to use it so they'll be paying to basically store the boat there for the most part it's relatively lower maintenance than anything else you just got of course once in a while you got to replace some of the the, the posts or, or the dock mm-hmm. pieces that the, the wood rots after time but but yeah it's, it's a it's a nice space to be into and of course people that are boat lovers you can't get them away from it the, the funny thing is that the standalone marinas by themselves are actually much more competitive than the campground mm-hmm. as far as like looking to, to okay. purchase them there's probably less properties that are the marinas themselves and the people that are in that space tend to not leave so it's almost like having something that just that those i'd say are much more low maintenance than anything else because you don't really need yeah. a full staff to take care of all that just it was just a marina by itself mm-hmm. but uh, yeah we'll, we'll get some of those in there i'm sure pretty soon perfect all right well i have to transition a little bit here and go into a deal walkthrough so can you tell us about a deal that you've done and just give us the breakdown. Mm-hmm. How did you find it? What were some challenges that you had to overcome and lessons that our audience can take away from that? Sure. With the campground space, we, of course, had several challenges, things that didn't go so well. Not for ones we closed on, but ones more like the ones we didn't close on. The things that uh, looked to be great deals that didn't end up not. But I'll share something else, more of a, maybe a more personal thing. So the five-unit strip mall, I was, I was saying that I'm a JV on that one. Mm-hmm. But that's one that I'll, I'll share about that because that one's kind of a bit more of a unique situation maybe for people that have not taken that on yet. This is one that came about through a, a broker that I had that I had bought a couple of fourplexes from, and she sent me this opportunity to, to get some land. Basically, what I did is I got it under contract. Then I found the partner to come on it and help me to close on it with plans to build. Initially, the thought was to build some like high-end townhomes, but we were told there's a, a huge need for commercial space in this area because uh, of all this growth and development happening all around it. There, there's many businesses that wanted to come in this specific location. So we, uh, we did some analysis and compared the numbers for these luxury townhomes or a commercial space. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, honestly, that I, I was surprised that this commercial space looked a lot better. The numbers, I mean, relatively, the numbers weren't too far off, but we're talking like triple net lease deals where these are mm-hmm. pretty much as 
as close to hands off as you can get <laughs> without being a fully <laughs> passive investor. And so I was like, wow, we don't have to worry, we don't have to worry about uh, evictions and toilet clogs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, let's do it. For me, it was a complete learning process. I knew nothing about this type of ground development. And neither did my partner, but we were willing to take that chance and just go for it. And the opportunity was there. So it was like, we can't let it pass by. And so the challenge that came about was that we set out, we, we found that the bank lender was willing to, to lend for the construction loan. They said, yeah, no problem. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. We went and got the architect to design everything for us. And then came to the bank. Okay, we got the plans. Here's our builder's estimate to, to build it out. He's like, great. We need to get some LOIs from potential tenants. And like, <laughs> like, we didn't know that. Why didn't you tell us that from the beginning? So now now we had to put on hold and go work to try to find some tenants to give us some LOIs to even get the loan approval. And so we finally got through all that. Took a bit longer than we anticipated. Again, had we done that first, we probably would have focused on that first. And so things got delayed a little bit. And as this was going on, of course, this was now uh, during 2021. So prices were going up. Our our construction costs went up by probably about 50% from where we started. The end numbers still worked for us. At that point, we were like, well... We want to back out now. And then along the way, we had other challenges that came up. We had to switch plans. We were first going to use like a steel construction framing, but then now steel was like on back order for six months. And so we had to go back to wood frame, which then we had to go back and have the engineers redesign some things to make that work. And then as the process went on, we, we thought we were going to be able to use the value of the land itself as part of our down payment because that would have made sense. But we come to find out that no, the bank needs some cash up front for the construction part of it. I'm like, okay, well, we weren't planning on that. So now we had to make some changes and, and do some things to get money together to put that down payment. And then this over time, the construction itself dragged on a bit just to some just delays with good materials there. And then we were down to the final piece to pour the parking lot. And there was like nonstop rain, so they couldn't even get the ground prepared or concrete poured. So that got delayed like another month just waiting for it to stop raining. And of course, in this time, some of those LOIs that we had have Mm-hmm. Have had since left. They, one guy moved out of state. He's not there anymore. Another place got tired of waiting and went someplace else. So <laughs> all, the, all these things came up that just made it more complicated and yeah. very frustrating. And to the point where, we, at least myself, I was definitely worried and concerned. It's like, was this a bad idea? We, we, we should have not taken on something we didn't know what we were doing. But we know that in the end, it's going to work out. And a few years down the road, we'll look back and say, yeah, that was no problem. We got through it and let's, let's do another one. It's one of those things. Just I, I like taking on those challenges. I'm not, I'm not afraid to see something. If I see it's, not, it's an opportunity, I can see the numbers work. Then even if I know nothing about it, I'm, I'm like willing to go yeah. for it and give it a try. Because I was like, if there's other people out there doing this, it can't be that complicated, right? We, we can definitely figure it out. And yeah. So for me, that, that was definitely a, a learning experience that I, I would at least say, going, looking back on it now, though, it probably would have been smart to bring on a partner that had mm-hmm. some insight on how to do this type of build or things with triple net leases and I have a bit more experience rather than just jumping in, <laughs> not knowing what to expect. Now, what kind of tenants do you have here? You mentioned they're triple net leases. So are these like national brands and chains that everyone would probably recognize? So actually, as, as of right now, we're just now getting done building it. So we don't actually have any in there just yet. But yeah, we have looked at from the very beginning before we even broke ground. We had some national financial company that was mm-hmm. looking to rent the place. We had even at one point a bank that was looking to possibly rent half the building just to use temporarily while they were building their own building. In the end, we didn't take that one because it would have been too much cost involved to switch after that. But as of right now, we're still looking for new tenants to come into that space. But uh, ideally, we're targeting things like CPAs, attorneys, financial firms, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, more so than restaurants. Even though we do have one of the units has a drive through on, on the end, so we could take a restaurant or dry mm-hmm. cleaning pharmacy, whatever. So I'll keep you updated once we have that fully leased out and, and gone. As of right now, we've got, I think, a beverage company that's looking to, mm-hmm. to go in there potentially. And some other things. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the end. Thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Now, where it's best for people to find you online if they want to get in touch with you and learn more about your offerings and other things that you're working on? Yeah, easy to find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. If you go to LinkedIn, just look at my name. I'm there. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. If you go to our website, beyondercamp.com, it's a bit confusing. We are Beyonder Holdings, but beyondercamp.com is the website. You go to the Holdings tab there. And then if you go to the About Us, you'll be able to find me and find my information. And right there, you can actually schedule a call to have a one-on-one conversation. So that's how you can find me. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Don. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode. If you guys enjoyed today's show, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Every review helps us to be able to reach more and more people looking to get involved in commercial real estate. If you're looking to level up your investment game, join the Commercial Real Estate Bosses community. It's completely free and inside you will get access to our Passive Investing 101 Masterclass, as well as regular live trainings where you can ask questions and access to industry professionals and like-minded investors. Join for free today by going to crebosses.com slash join. That's crebosses.com slash join. Or click on the link below and I'll see you inside.